Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. That was mostly good. That's good. So, uh, I know baseball has started and everybody here is a big Reds fan, right? I'm not going to make fun of the Reds. My great-grandfather took me to Reds games, so big fan of them. Uh, however, the NBA playoffs are about to start. What do you call a group of millionaires sitting around watching the NBA playoffs? The Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. I've been told that I laugh at my own jokes more than anyone else does, and that's fine. So we are wrapping up the Fearless Prayer series today, and this has been an amazing series. And each week that I've been blessed to be up here, I watch the bumper and just try to focus on what we're talking about, on what Fearless Prayer is, on what it means. And we've been going through the Lord's Prayer each week, and this week is no different. We're going to wrap up the Lord's Prayer with uh, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, which is... If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we've already talked about forgiveness, so this isn't necessarily about that. Obviously, it is about that, but it is about more than that. It is about the community that is built in Christianity, the community that is built on Christ, and what it means to be a part of that, what it means to treat others as we want to be treated, what it means to forgive and be forgiven, what it means to pray for other people, to pray for ourselves, to, to pray together. And this week is about the great blessing that we get for being a part of that, the great blessing that we can take from this series, and everything that, that, that we just join together to learn, to grow, to hope. And so I want to, my text is going to be from Matthew 26, 17 through 30. Now, uh, I, I'm blessed to be in here the next three weeks. And so you're going to recognize the scriptures because we're at Easter time, right? Like today's Palm Sunday. That's why the kids were walking through with palms. That wasn't just a random thing. Palm branches. And then everybody has palms. But um, they, uh, it's, and next week is Easter. Again, not a surprise. And so what I ask you, and I've asked this before, as I read the scripture, as we talk about the scripture, Take out everything you know. Read it as it's happening, because this stuff actually happened. It's not just a story that we share every year. It's not just a tale. It's not a fairy tale. It's nothing like that. This is something actual that happened in the life of Jesus. And so from this scripture, uh, we go to the last seven. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man, tell him, the teacher says, my time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples uh, did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. So I've always loved the connection between the Passover and this moment, the crucifixion. Uh, and to me, it shows just the perfection of God's plan and how everything is out there for us to see. Everything is out there for us to feel. And so the original Passover way back in the Old Testament was uh, essentially, well, it was exactly the uh, angel of death passed over Egypt, and anyone who had the blood of a lamb painted on their door was spared. Now, blood of a lamb passed over. This is what, this is foreshadowing. Foreshadowing the moment when the blood of the lamb saves everyone and gives us all a chance to have that death pass over us. And so as he celebrates that, that has to be on his mind. And just, it's so cool that originally it freed Israel and now it frees us. And it's such an amazing thing. It reminds us, like I said, that God's plan is perfect. 
uh, sometimes when we come up with plans, when we come up with ideas, whether it's for a family vacation or whatever during the day, whatever during the week, uh, we come up with this plan, this schedule. And, you know, it's best of intentions. And then something happens uh, and boom, the plan falls apart. So several years ago, 2007, I think, uh, IU was going to their first bowl game in a long time. We're not Ohio State. We don't go every year. And uh, uh, me and two of my friends decided to drive to Arizona. Now, in theory, that sounded a lot better than it felt in practice because it's 26 hours. And like the way back, I drove the entire way because we were so annoyed with each other. Plus, IU lost. But uh, on the way there, we're driving down I-65, and I'm driving. It's my car. My tire pops. We are less than an hour from home, and my tire pops. So we had to pay for a replacement. We had to wait. Everything is thrown off for the rest of the trip. Now, we still made it to the game, etc. But with our plans, they can be derailed. Something can happen that can change it. God's plan is so perfect, so perfect that nothing can ever change that. Nothing can take that away from us. And so we focus on that. We live in that. And so we go to the next verse. This is 20, verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. So this is the part where I want you to really focus on what's happening. Because Jesus is sitting down to celebrate with his disciples. He's sitting down to a family meal to talk about everything that they've done, to pray, to be together. And one of these people, who are the closest people in the entire world to him, who lived as a family every single day, one of these people is going to betray him. Now again, this is something that we've heard so much. We talk about it every single year, and sometimes more than once a year. And we know what's going to happen. We know who's going to do it, and we know all of this. And so we picture this, and we picture Judas like sweating down his face and getting so worried and like, oh no, is he going to call me out? But from Jesus' perspective, he knows this is all going to happen. It's part of God's plan. But one of these people who every day healed with him, every day taught with him, every day walked with him, every day worked with him, every day prayed with him is going to betray him. Now think about what that feels like. And yet, how he handles it, how he handles it is again showing us who he is. Uh, and I think as we read this, like I said, we think, oh yeah, Judas immediately put his hands in there and he got called out. Uh, each of the disciples had gone in this bowl with Jesus. So like it wasn't an accident that he said things the way that he did. He could have called out Judas. I would imagine if I went individually to each person here, every one of us would say, I would have called him out. And maybe some of it is like, I would have called him out to hope that he changes his mind, or, or I would have tried to talk, tried to reason with him. But, but, you know, I would have brought it up to light. Some of us would have been like, yeah, I would have said, hey, Judas, what you been doing? But Jesus just says it in a way that everybody knows what's going to happen. But he doesn't shame him because he knows he has free will. He knows that it's going to be a horrible thing for him to do. But he's spent three years with him. He's poured everything he can into him. And so at this point, you know, it's like a bird being pushed out of a nest. It's fly or 
don't fly. And so Judas has to make that call himself. And I love this. And, some, and I didn't really catch it right away. But when Jesus says, you have said it. Depending on how we feel when we're reading this, we can read that with the tone of, yeah, you've said it. You have said it. Or you have, I'm not going to point it everywhere, but you have said it. And we're like, yeah, that's accusing. No. He said, you've said it. Even there, he is reminding Judas that he has a chance at redemption. Now, Jesus had to die, and Judas had already betrayed him, and this was going to happen. But I believe that even Judas could have asked for forgiveness. Now, there would have been amazing consequences on earth, and I don't know what would have happened to him and all of this stuff, but even Judas could have asked for forgiveness, and that's what Jesus is talking about until the end of his life. He lived a a forgiveness life. He lived a life that showed us how to do it. This series has been about fearless prayer, about living like Jesus, about praying to Jesus, about being like Jesus. And as we wrap up this series, as we prepare for Easter, which is one of the biggest days in the church calendar, one of the two biggest days, and Sean mentioned this, uh, that there'll be a lot of visitors. There are two days of the year that people are more likely to accept your invitation to church, and they're more likely to come. Now, obviously, it's Easter and Christmas. I hope that wasn't a surprise. Now, we like to think that it's because they're aware of what those days mean, and that's part of it. But it's also because we act a little bit different at those times of the year. We're more like Jesus when we know Easter is coming. We're more like Jesus when we know Christmas is coming. And people notice that. And that's what this series is about, about not just being like him this series, six weeks, however long it was, but all of the time. And there's a lot that we have to think about each of these weeks with something different to think about and something we can carry, something that we can learn, something that we can pray about, we can focus on. And even with Jesus' death coming, even with the betrayal of one of his closest friends, one of his family members, he sat with his community to celebrate, to honor God. And that tells us what we should do, how we should do. Christianity is not a solo thing. It's not. I'm asked often, Uh, Because as people, we're always kind of looking for the line on where we can live and what we can do just enough to get by, all of us. I'm asked often, like, hey, if I never go to church or never watch online, like, can I still be a Christian? And that's a yes and no. So, yes, it's possible if you're praying, you're tithing, you're doing whatever you need to do, you're living for Christ, of course. But eventually, your tire's going to pop. Or something's going to happen. And if you don't have the community of faith around you, whether it's online or in person, if you don't have that community of faith, if you're not getting fed every week, if you're not learning to pray every week, then what are you going to do? What are you going to focus on? And that's where it gets hard. And so Jesus is showing us that it's not a solo thing, that it's a community. Um, I have a quote from a famous artist. This is an actual famous artist, not one of my jokes. Vincent Van Gogh. Now... This quote may be kind of hard to hear. He only had one ear. Come on, guys. Come on. I really thought you'd laugh at that. Come on. Uh, Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. So this has lots of meaning. On the one hand, you know, he's an artist, so you, you don't just paint the full picture at once. You go step by step. But on the other hand, we look at the disciples sitting around this table, or is the painting sitting straight across in the table? 
Each of them was a small thing that joined together to do great things because of Jesus. As we look around this room, each of us is a small thing that is made great together in Christ. And we can accomplish great things because we're brought together by a great thing. Now it also means, and this is where it gets personal, and this is where I really want you to hear this. That wasn't a joke that time. This is where I really want you to listen. Each victory matters, whether it's small or big. Each small step matters. Beatrice's birthday was Friday. I know that it's rare for me to talk about her, but I am. When she was learning how to walk, she would fall down occasionally. And yet, I remember very clearly, this is during COVID, like during the start of COVID when we're locked down, and I wasn't able to see her for a couple months. I missed her first birthday, and that was hard for me. But I would Zoom once a week or a couple times a week, and one time I was Zooming Amber, my sister. And Beatrice is in the background because she couldn't care less about Zooming me. And she's just kind of yelling and playing and doing little kid things. And like as I'm talking to Amber, I don't even remember what we're talking about, but Beatrice is like holding on to this like footstool thing. And she lets go and she kind of goes like this and takes a step. And we both scream, which kind of made her fall. But we both scream. (laughs) And I was blessed to see her first steps and they're little tiny steps, but they counted. And now she runs. The small steps matter. And they make something big. Whatever it is that you need to work on, whatever it is you struggled with, whatever from this series you're like, man, I just need to get there. You have to go step by step. And it's important to celebrate each step. Now, I'm not saying throw a party after each step. Like every time you're forgiving to someone, don't be like, hey, guess what? I was just kind to you. Every time somebody cuts you off and you don't yell anything or flip them off or anything, you can't like run up, like catch up to them and be like, guys, guess what? I didn't insult you. That's crazy. Don't do that. But to focus on each thing as your relationship with him grows, honor that. Notice that you're doing better, that you're growing as you experience him in your life more and more, as you notice that experience. Celebrate that in whatever way. Communicate. Pray. Be like, I'm so thankful. Reflect on it. As you learn to depend on him more and more, be thankful for that. Honor that. As you learn to forgive, to be forgiven, celebrate that. Again, not with a giant party, but just with saying, man, I'm I'm going forward. I'm trying. Somebody around you, pray. As your life grows to reflect his impact, celebrate each step. Notice each step. Take a note of each step and learn from the bad. Because I would love to tell you that once you start on this journey, once you've taken this series, and you're like, oh, I just really was touched by fearless prayer by this week or that week or the overall, whatever, that the rest of your life is going to be golden. You're never going to have any problems. Nobody's going to treat you bad. You're not going to ever mess up, but I can't say that because we are imperfect. I have another quote. And just like Van Gogh is a great artist, this person is a great artist. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, which is proven every time LeBron says anything. Uh, I've, 
I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. When we think about Jordan, regardless of where you stand on him, we focus on the winning shots, we focus on the championships, we focus on all of that. Now, this shows a little bit who he is and how competitive he is and what he thinks about, but he failed a lot. Think about baseball for a second. The greatest hitters of all time are like in the Hall of Fame, like around 330 or so, 350 for an average of really, really good. That means 70% of the time they fail. Jordan noticed that and he felt that and it's counterintuitive because we're kind of taught to just ignore your failures, move on. Now, we shouldn't dwell on them either. I'm not saying, and this is what I struggle with, like, oh man, I failed and I just got to hold this forever. I do that. In fact, uh, I often assume that failure is coming. So, occasionally, someone will say something kind to me after I preach or something. And I'm like, you know, thank you and I mean it. But in my head, I'm like, oh man, that means next week's not going to be good. And that's how I think. That's what, how my mind works. Now, I have to remind myself it's a constant prayer with God. Like, hey, help me to do this. And as I sit there, worshiping, I'm praying like, God, help me to get out of my own way. Help me to do better. Help me to have courage. Help me to have faith. Help me to just have peace. How we look at failure informs who we are. So I always point out to the teens and you guys that that you're going to fail. And you can take that and you can look at it one of two ways, really. Number one, you can be like, oh, I'm going to fail. So I can just do whatever I want and I'll worry about it at the end. I'm going to fail, so I might as well just have fun. Be young, have fun, drink Pepsi. Just might as well do whatever. The problem with that is the more you do whatever, the less you want to get right, the less you want to ask forgiveness, the less you care about the failure, and it becomes who you are. So the other way to look at it, the healthy way, is to say, you know what? I'm going to fail. At some point, I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to have a bad day and somebody's going to to say something and I'm going to just go off on them. But I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to apologize and I'm going to do better. I'm going to focus on that, not to let it tear me down. But as a small step where I can take it to the next step. We think about people like Billy Graham and C.S. Lewis and and whatever other famous Christian that you can think of in your head. Somebody you know, somebody that you've read, somebody that you have never met but you've heard about. And we think, man, I wish I could be them. But every single Christian starts at the same place. And we all take those steps at our own pace. We all go step by step by step. We look through the things like Fearless Prayer Series and we go step by step by step. And what you struggle with, whatever it is, that is what you notice. Just like if you buy a new red car or you buy me a new red car, (laughs) then out on the street, pretty much all you notice are other red cars around. 
And it's like all you see because we focus on what we know. We think about what we know. But those things you struggle with, you think, man, everybody else has this down. And maybe they don't struggle with that same thing, but they struggle with something. So like each week of the series, one was depending on Christ. Somebody has trouble giving up control. And somebody else has trouble being forgiving. And somebody else has trouble praying. And somebody else has trouble with this or that. That's what's so cool about this community. Because everybody struggles with something and we all can lift each other up. We can all help each other. We can all look back at this series and think, let's take those small steps together. I'm not saying that you have to suddenly like, hang out with everybody all the time. That would be horrible. But I'm saying, when you're here, be here. And don't be afraid to tell people that you need prayer. Because everybody here that I'm looking at, and I can actually see you all, which is kind of weird. Everybody here is going through something too. And so if you ask someone to pray for you, they're not going to be like, huh, they need prayer and I'm perfect. They're going to think, okay, hey, you know what, would you pray for me too? Because we all need that. That's what this is about. That's what we are doing. That's what Jesus showed us. Each of the disciples at this table failed him in some way. And we think about the big ones like Judas who failed him and just ran away from it and never got forgiveness and never asked for it and never changed. But we also have Peter who failed him very famously. And we go down the line. And we may not know how they failed him, but they all ran. They all messed up at some point. They all failed at some point. But that is how they succeeded, aside from Judas. Because they looked back to him and said, okay, what did Jesus teach us about failing? He didn't fail, but he told us that we're going to, and he loved us still, and he helped us to move past it, to take that next step. And so they joined together, and they recognized they were a part of something greater. And they showed that, and they lived that. And even when Peter became the rock of the church and started the church, even when, when uh, John was out there just living for Christ, I guarantee you they still struggled at times. Paul talked about a thorn in his flesh. Everyone struggles, but we all can do better and we all can learn from that. That does not mean that you are a failure. Failing does not mean that you are a failure. It just means that you fail. And you can pick up and succeed. Just like Jordan was cut from his basketball team when he was in high school. Where'd he end up? A lot of people were cut from their basketball teams. And a lot of people gave up and walked away. We are together in Christ. And it's such an amazing thing. Going to verse 26. Someone. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of men. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink, in, drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So we think of this as the first communion and it is, but it's also 
the Passover celebration. This is how the Passover went. Now, Jesus made it personal instead of what the, the person at the head of the table normally said. He talked about the new covenant, about himself. He brought it to a personal level for us. And you've probably heard Eucharist used before for communion. That literally in Greek just means thanks. Thank you. Being thankful. And the new covenant that he talks about here. And I want to remind you that each of the disciples was at the table. The one who betrayed him, the one who denied him, the one who ran from him, etc. And he said, if you turn to me, you can be saved. He didn't say except for you or except for you. He said, all of you have this chance because you're not perfect. But in Christ, you can live that perfect life. And he talks about the new covenant, covenant to forgive, to be forgiven, to treat others as we want to be treated, to love God, love others, to be an example for Christ. And he gave his life for that lesson. He gave his life for us. And even hanging on the cross, he knew that we would fail at times. He knew that because people were literally failing him while he was on the cross. And yet, he still said, Father, forgive them. He never gave up on us. He will never give up on you. This series is about living that out, about that life, about that prayer life, about understanding that even when we fail, we can make progress. We can go forward, we can grow, we can be better, we can be stronger. And as he sings the hymns with his followers, those are traditionally in the Passover, Psalms 116 to 118. It's like when you go home today, read those and think about what that was like for him to sing those words, knowing that he's about to die. As he sings that with them, he knows what's in their hearts. And yet he keeps singing it with them because he knows that they can grow. He knows they can do better. He knows they can move forward. And so can we. How? How? What's the wrap up for this series? What's the, the answer? Do I have one more quote? And this is from Jesus himself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God. So with each step forward, focus on that, on Jesus, on his forgiveness, on his life, on his example, on the kingdom of God. With each step backwards, focus on that and realign yourself. Realize that you can be forgiven. Realize that you are loved eternally and completely by him and that you can do better. Help each other. Lift each other up. Pray for each other. Even if nobody comes to you and says, hey, pray for me, pray for them. They're not going to come to you later and be like, hey, how dare you pray for me secretly without me knowing about it? And if they do, well, that's a little crazy. But they're not going to. One of the things, and I've said this before, that I struggle with the most is being forgiving 
of myself. I say this again to all of you. You're going to fail at some point. But you are not a failure. And that can be a step forward if you seek the kingdom of God and you think about why you failed. And then you pick it up and you give it to Him and you go forward. And then when you see someone else fail in the same or a worse or a similar way, you're not like, oh good, they messed up. You're like, okay, I'm going to pray for them because I know what this feels like. And then we keep doing that. And that is what we are here for. That is a fearless prayer. That is a fearless life. Because we look at fear wrong. We think that being brave means that you're never scared. That's not possible. Being brave, being courageous, means that you move forward even in that fear. That you know there's something greater with you. And that's what we take from this series. And that's how we grow together and go forward. That's all I got.